What's going on, Victory Church? How you doing? Man, what a day. So many exciting things happening. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us, welcome. Thank you for joining us. We're so glad to have you. Real quick, let me just give you an update on what we're about here at Victory, about four things. We call them our four Gs, growing, guiding, giving, and going. We want to help people grow to know God, help people guide to find their freedom, help people have the opportunity to give out of their purpose, and then go and make a difference. And we've been talking so much about the past couple weeks of all the things that you are doing as a church to make a difference, from missionaries that you're supporting to the 4,000 meals you provided at the Second Harvest Food Bank in Smyrna. So many great things. And I want to encourage you right now to mark your calendars, July 3rd, which is the day before July 4th, you know, if you can you know, count. And uh, we, they have a huge 4th of July celebration here in Smyrna that we always like to be representative, representative at, uh, repre- representations at, however, you know, figure out that sentence. Um, <laughs> Like, he talks for a living? That's, yeah, that's how it works. Um, and so we want to be there. So if you mark your calendars, we're still working the details of exactly what we'll do. We always like to give to our community at that event. Last year we did free face painting and balloon animals, and it was a blast as we hung out with our community. So do me a favor, mark that on your calendar. Also, I believe it is uh, July 12th, which is a Friday. It'll be the first Friday we're serving at the food bank. Second Harvest Food Bank, and if you are available during that time because of your work schedule, we would love for you to join. I'll talk more about that, how to sign up and be there with Darla and I as we serve in that area and serve our community and both senior adults and kids that are hungry, doing our best to feed them. Amen? Hey, if you got your Bible, open to the book of James. Book of James, chapter 1. It's in the Old, or I'm sorry, the New Testament towards the very back. And uh, we're in a series called The Book of James. That's what it's called, and we're kind of, for the first time as a church, expository teaching through the book of James. So I'm kind of going just verse by verse uh, the best that we can in the time frame that we have and kind of breaking it down and explaining it, how to apply it to our lives. And, and I'm really enjoying this as a church, and, and it's really cool because once the series is over, we as a church will really know that book of the Bible. And so if you have a Bible, bring it. And so you can highlight and circle. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles at the Welcome Center that Pastor Brian was talking about with the Blue Rug. Go, and we'll give you a Bible. We have all kinds, from NIV to King James to the Message, all kinds of study Bibles, chronological study Bibles, whatever you need, let us know, and we'll put it in your hands so that you can have your Bible. It would be a privilege for us to do that. Uh, let me give you a real quick, as you're getting ready, James chapter 1, verse 19 is where we'll start. James was a pastor of the church in Jerusalem, also known as Jesus' half-brother, and James writes this letter to the church. So what we're about to read is talking to Christians. And what I loved about it, and I talked about this last week, is because of persecution, Christians were all over the world. And so James would send this letter to all of the different house churches, because they weren't really meeting like this. They were meeting in houses, similar to small groups. And they would send the letters out via uh, different mailmen or whatever the process looked like, and it would go to the pastor's of those churches, and those pastors would gather their church, similar to this right here, come in, sit down, sit down, sit down, we got the letter from James, sit down, sit down, sit down, and then he would open up the letter from James, and he would begin to read it, and he actually read the entire letter through, technically what was broken down for us into five chapters, he read the whole letter through, which would take about 20 minutes, so we won't do that, but we are reading it by kind of sections, in your Bible it's almost separated by headings, and we're taking one of those per Sunday and breaking it down, so Last week, we looked at James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This week, we're going to look at James 19 through 27. So I'll read it in its entirety, and then we'll break it down. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, this is huge, because at that time, 
you didn't acknowledge women as even any importance. So James is coming in saying, hey, as Christians, women and men matter. That's very important that you see that. Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. In other words, pay attention. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Amen? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that's planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and then you would deceive yourself, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his own face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that's the word, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Then he gives examples to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Amen? Lord, we ask that you would open up your word to us this morning, reveal it, let us apply it to our lives, and leave here better people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a quick question. How many of you in here like to be right? Anybody? There we go. You like to be right. All right, you can put your hands down. How many of you, you don't so much like to be right, you just always are? There we go. Just wanted to go ahead and let that know real quick. All right, just get it. Everybody likes to be right. And sometimes to a fault, we like to be right. Sometimes we lose relationships and we embarrass ourselves because we want to be right. The early church that James was speaking to, just like the modern day church today, was filled with people who liked to talk too much, okay? It was filled with gossipers. It was filled with drama queens and kings. It was filled with people who who would say dumb things and offend people. Watch this. It was filled with people who would rather be right than righteous. If you've been at church in any time frame of your life, somebody in the church has probably said something to you that hurt you. And part of that is because we're humans and we make mistakes. And part of that is because we need to listen to what James is saying. And so he's talking. He knows he's talking to a room full of people. And here's what he says to him. He starts off with this. Number one, you ready? Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Right off the bat, church, seek first to understand, then seek to be understood. He said in verses 19 and 21, or 19 to 20, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, right? Slow to speak. And then as a result, this is both an action and a result, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James says, hey, Christians, let's be more committed to listening so that we could understand than we are speaking to be understood, right? As someone who speaks for a living, I can uh, confidently tell you this, that the quicker you are to speak, or the more often it is that you speak, the more frequent you are to say something stupid. 
right? If you were here last Sunday, you would know that I accidentally promoted juvenile from the stage and uh, have not heard the end of that yet, and so that was fun. And, and, and throughout my, I could tell you stories, oh, stories, people who have been with me, Tim's been with me now for probably, I don't know what, eight or ten, I think we said ten years, something like that, and he has heard me say some dumb stuff. Because anytime you're up here trying to preach the Word of God, there's always a point where Troy kind of creeps in, and then it gets awkward. And so the more you speak, the more opportunity you have to say something stupid. And that's why James is saying, hey, hey, be slow to speak and quick to listen. If I would have applied this to my life a few weeks ago, this wouldn't have happened. I was in the car, me and Darla, and we're driving with our two girls, Casey and Veda, and we were going from Smyrna to Murfreesboro, and we were taking these back roads, and as we were taking the back roads, we passed a big farm with all of, like, these cows. And for this to make sense, understand if you're visiting, my wife's vegan, which means she loves animals, right? That's kind of how that process goes. And so we're driving down, and, and we see all these cows, and she says, girls, look at all the cows. And they go, oh. And without even thinking, I went, yeah, look at all the steak. <laughs> and simultaneously, both my girls went, ooh. <laughs> and had I been slow to speak and quick to listen, there would have been a lot less anger in that car. You know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was a rough drive on the way to Murfreesboro. So I'm learning. I'm, I'm, I'm learning, trying to be better and hear James' advice to, to slow when I speak. This is why I think our world is so angry. Have you noticed that the world is just so angry? Everybody's angry. You're on Facebook, they're angry. You're listening to talk shows, they're angry. Like everybody's just mad. And the reason why everybody's so angry is because the world is being told through a culture to be quick to speak and slow to listen. Think about it. Everybody's telling us to talk. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I heard a pastor saying, I love this, that when somebody asks you, what do you think about blank, he's, his answer was always, I don't. I don't think about it. I'm not going to talk about it. Think about it. All social media. Twitter wants to know what you got to say. What do you got to say about it? Facebook wants to know, what do you have to say? Instagram wants to know, what are you doing and what do you got to say about what you're doing? They're just telling us, be quick to speak. Tell everybody your opinion. Tell everybody what you think. I have yet to find a social media that tells us to listen. There's not one that says, hey, just be quiet and understand people. There, there is no promotion for that. It's quick to listen, quick to listen. And we are in a society where everybody wants to be heard and everybody wants to be understood. And instead of hearing and understanding, we step into the scenario wanting to prove we're right. So instead of hearing and understanding, we rather stand on a side that tries to prove we're right. And I'm going to tell you something that's so scary, but it's so true. And if you will understand this and kind of mark this in your mind, I think it will impact the way you listen to people. Everything that everyone says and does makes sense to them. Wow. Even though you think it's stupid, even though you think it makes no sense, even though you know it's wrong, to them it makes sense. Everything they do, everything, it makes sense. And this is what I think James is ultimately telling us. There is a way to face things without fighting them. We can face something and not have to fight it. Let me give you a great example. So my, my oldest is nine, my youngest is four, and they fight a lot, right? They argue a lot. It's, it's pretty common in my house. And, and 
we, you know, we're at that stage now where we don't really know which one to believe. You know what I mean? Like, like they, they both lie equally, and so you don't really know. You're just kind of flipping a coin to which one you spank first. Just kidding. And so, um, so trying to figure that whole process out. But because Veda's five years older, I will often treat her a little bit different in the aspect of you're, you're nine. You should know different. You know what I mean? We're kind of that conversation. So as a result of that, recently Veda's response to everything is to throw a fit, right? And to yell out, yell out and then to stomp up her stairs into her room and close the door. And in the beginning, my approach was to fight that. You know, that, well, who do you think you are stomping in my house? Get down here. You know, I mean, that, that, to fight it, to, to fight against it was my approach. And it wasn't getting me anywhere. And me and Darla talked, and we said, all right, let's do a different approach. And so we put in this different approach, and I'm going to explain to you real quick the first time I ever did it, what it looked like. So she yells, she stomps up the stairs, she goes in her room, she slams the door shut, and I waited about five or ten minutes so that I would cool down, right? I walked upstairs, I walked in her room. And I sat down, she's on her bed, I sat down on the floor and put my back up against the wall. And I just said, hey, babe, what's up? What's, what's going on? 45 minutes later, that girl talked for 45 minutes. At one point, she was telling me about how she was struggling in school with bullies. I would have never connected that. But because I chose to face it, and I sought to understand before I wanted her to understand my point of view. I didn't walk in with, you can't do that. I was right in my point of view. I was right. But I sought first to hear her and to understand her situation first, and then it was about her understanding my situation. And I learned things I would have never known. And I've always had a leadership rule, and this is kind of a leadership rule. No matter what somebody tells you, no matter how crazy it is, you listen to them because there's probably a small percentage of it that's true especially if it's about you. So I've always been just slow to speak and quick to, to listen. What, what do you got to say? Because I want to know. And then look what James says about this. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. That action. Y'all remember when you'd be outside playing and you'd go in your house and mom and dad would stop you and go, no, no, take your shoes off. Remember that? Don't, don't bring that into the house. So that's the same principle that James is talking about. Here's what he's saying. That pride you have that wants to prove you're right, take it off. Because that desire to be right has become a moral issue. Take it off, put it aside, and put on humility. Put on the humility knowing that you might hear something and you might learn something. And watch this. This is my, I had to write this down because I wanted you to get this right. Because if you are so set on being right, you will struggle receiving the word when you're wrong. Guess what, y'all? There's times where we're wrong. And if we're so prideful about proving that we're right and we're so quick to speak and not slow to speak and quick to hear, there'll be a point where the word is actually addressing us and we're wrong, but we don't stop to hear it because all we want to do is prove that we're right. I'm right. I'm right. James says, slow down. You may be right, but just... Sit back and be slow to speak and quick to listen. If we would enter into relationships seeking to first understand, then be understood, we'd have much more success at those relationships. Amen? Number two, he says, seek to do what is right. Don't just seek to say what is right. Okay? So look how he says it. He says, do not merely listen to the word and then deceive yourself, but do what it says. Now, again, we're reading our Bible. 
But James was, the pastors were speaking James' letter. So they weren't reading anything. So they were, it, the concept wasn't don't read it and not do it. When he said don't hear the word, it's because he was, they were speaking it. Just like you're hearing it out of my mouth, they were hearing it out of a pastor's mouth. And James is saying, don't just hear this word, but do what I'm saying. Don't just hear what I'm saying, but do what I'm saying. You have probably all had this scenario. Again, for me, it's for kids. If you've had kids, you know this. For me, it's with my child when it comes to brushing their teeth. All right, so let me set it up, and you can kind of apply this to your life. Has there ever been a moment where you have asked somebody to do something, right? You said, hey, can you go brush your teeth? And you notice a few minutes later, they haven't moved, right? Still in the same place. And so you walk over, and very nicely you say, excuse me, Veda, did you hear me? And then they say, Yes, I heard you. And then you say this, then why aren't you doing it, right? If you heard me say brush your teeth, why aren't you brushing your teeth? If you hear me, do it. And this is what James is saying. Don't just hear, but do. Don't just hear it, but listen, hearing what the Bible says doesn't bring the blessing or the growth. Doing what it says does. You can hear the Bible all day, but until you start doing what you hear, you are not going to experience the level of blessing and the level of growth that the Bible talks about. You can't just hear it. You have to do it. And I know we've heard this a thousand times, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to make this so real to you. I'm going to give you the most, most practical example and illustration of how silly it is for us to hear the Bible and think change is going to happen when we won't do it. All right? So let, we got that first picture. Uh, the, 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 okay, all right, here we go. All right, exercise routine. You ready? All right, I'm going to use you in a minute. I'm going to use me first. Okay, 10 push-ups, 40 squats. Don't worry, we are not going to do this. Don't worry. Uh, 40 lunges, 10 push-ups, 50 set-ups, 10 push-ups, 60-second plank, 50 set-ups, 10 push-ups, 10 lunges, 10 squats, 10 push-ups. So wait a minute. So me saying that didn't change anything? Maybe I need to hear it. Can y'all read it? Yeah. All right, all right, go. Just read it. It don't matter. Just start reading. Start reading. Come on, start reading. Start reading. Oh, yes. Say it. Say it. I can feel my abs tightening as we speak. Yes. Give it to me. Give it to me. Say it. Yes. Okay, stop. Still didn't work. You ain't gonna give me a little bit of love? See one ab? So hearing it without doing it doesn't change anything. Maybe you don't get it yet. Let's, let's try with the next picture. All right, here we go. Next picture. Okay, vegan. Who picked this menu item? Vegan navy beans. I, bring my, I blame my wife. All right, so here we go. Three and one fourth quarts of water, three and one fourth ounce of vegetable stock, low sodium. Put it in a kettle, heat the water to a simmer, whisk in the stock until it's fully combined, simmer for 20 minutes. Who got the bean soup? It's not here? Let's try this again. Maybe, maybe I need to hear you read it, all right? So just start reading the top. There we go. Starting at the water. Go ahead. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, you inner chefs. Give it to me. There we go. All right. It's forming. I don't have anything. Y'all are like, this guy has completely lost his mind. I'm just illustrating that just because I say it and just because I hear it 
doesn't change anything. It's not until I do it. If I do the 50 crunches, if I go buy the navy beans, all right, let me give you another example. Here we go. We'll try this. All right, put that last one up there. Here we go. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Land, be healed. Nope, nothing, nothing. So I can't just read it. I got to do it. So I got to humble myself. I got to pray. I got to seek his face. I got to turn from my wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. Why don't we let you try the second one, all right? It's so generosity. Start, start Proverbs. Go. Let me hear it. Refreshment. Anybody's bank account feel refreshed? Your wallets feel refreshed? No? I get it now. Because we can't just hear the word and we can't just read the word. We've got to do the word. Wow. So me, me just hearing that generosity refreshes me doesn't refresh me. Me hearing that praying heals my land doesn't heal my land. I have to do what the Bible says. And this is what James is saying. He's saying, remember, he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to people who don't love Jesus. He's talking to Christians saying, hey, we can't just keep reading the word. We got to do what we read. And then James gives us a, a pretty cool illustration that I thought would be fun to talk about uh, as we read on. So go ahead and give me that next verse. Oh, there it goes. It says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. So here's what he said. He said, in this situation, the Bible is a mirror, okay? And when you look into the Bible and you read the Bible, it's like you looking into a mirror. Everybody here got a mirror? Got a mirror? Okay. Here's what happens with the mirror. You go and look in the mirror. I'm going to set you up with a scene. Let's say it's Friday night, right? You and your friends or your bride or your girl or your boo or whatever are about to go and, and go out and eat and go see a movie and, and you got to get ready, you got to look good. And so you go into the bathroom and you look in the mirror and you've got food in your teeth. Y'all ever had that happen before? It's really awkward when somebody's like, hey. So you're like, you know, it's awkward. You look in the mirror and you got a hair out of place, right? It's like over here, hair's over here. Or you look in the mirror and you got like ketchup on your shirt. That, that, that's embarrassing. Or, or what if you got a pimple on your nose, right? right? It's just, it's, and so you look in the mirror. Now imagine this. Imagine you getting ready to go out on Friday night. You look in the mirror and you see food in your teeth and you see ketchup on your shirt. And it says, if you look at it and you went, ah, and you walked out of your bathroom and went out that night forgetting it was there. Wouldn't be really smart, right? Be kind of awkward. James says when we look into the Bible and the Bible tells us something about ourselves and instead of changing it, we just go on, it's like forgetting that it's even there. And you just go out doing life and this is still what you have going on inside of you or on the outside of you. And it's foolishness. There's not a woman in here that if you looked in the mirror on a Friday night and saw something in your teeth, you'd be like, eh, save it for later. 
You know, it doesn't work that way. You're like, I got to get that out. I got to, there's not a guy in this world, well, maybe there are some guys, that, that you would look in the mirror and see like a big ketchup stain on your shirt and be like, yeah, I don't know, this kind of works for me. Like H&M might probably, you know, might, might be actually put this on the shelves later. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like you want to change it. And I love that James is like, this just makes so much sense to me. That if you look in the Bible and you see something that in the Bible I'm not doing, I'm going to change it. Hear me. And I skipped this earlier, but I don't want you to miss this. Life change doesn't happen when you mark your Bible. Life change happens when your Bible marks you. Okay? And so we can read and highlight and underline all we want. But until it actually starts operating inside of us and we start doing what we read... We are like the individual who's at the restaurant with lettuce in their teeth going, oh, I don't care, I like it. <laughs> it's awkward. James is like, what's going on, church? Read the Bible and do what it says. Now, for some of us, the problem is we don't know what the Bible says. And that's what this series is all about, is we're walking through what the Bible says and how we do it and how we apply it to our lives, and how we operate in it. And listen to me, I wrote this down, I think this is important. The world needs the Bible, and the world needs Christians. But above all, the world needs Christians that do what the Bible says. I need to say that again. This world, your coworkers, the people in the interstate, they need the Bible. 100% they need the Bible. They also need Christians. They need people that are going to love them like you love yourself, people who are going to not judge. You know, they, they need Christians. But above all, what this world really needs is Christians that do what the Bible says. I have learned that you will never have to prove what's right if you're always doing what's right. I don't need to tell you my opinion when I'm living out what I'm reading, right? And so that was, brings me to my third point, which is this, you have to seek reconciliation over religion. Now let me explain this a little bit. So I'm gonna read to you what James says, and I'm gonna break it down. James says, in the end, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves. And then their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, and I said he gives you examples to look after orphans and widows and their distress to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Next week, you really don't want to miss next week, James starts getting into judgment and how we shouldn't judge and favoritism, and he talks about the golden rule of loving others the way you love yourself, and I cannot wait to walk us through that and what the Bible actually says about that. It's going to be so great. But here's what I see James saying. James says, look, if your mission is to be right, if your mission is to be understood before you try to understand, if your mission is to be able to prove that you know what you're, if your mission is to say something but to not do it, if that is your mission, then your religion is worthless. And that religion, that word, when you break it down, that religion means the gospel that you're sharing. It doesn't mean a theological concept. It means the gospel that you're sharing is worthless if you're not doing what you say. Or if all you care about is being right, then people won't care about your religion. And here's what I think James is saying, all right? Get ready for this. I think James is saying that you and I, our ministry slash calling is not to be right. Our ministry slash calling is to reconcile. So let me explain. Put that verse up there, and let me wrap it all this around. 
and give you an idea of what I'm talking about by reconciliation, because at this point you might be like, I don't know what he's talking about. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. All of this is from God. What? Every good gift is from God. Who reconciled us, say me, to himself through Christ. That's, that's the gospel. What we just did with communion was celebrating God reconciling us to him through Jesus. Here's what reconcile means in case you don't know. It means to get back together. Welcome back, Carter. You know what I mean? Welcome back, Troy. Come on back. Like, it was just getting back together. That's what that means. So God reconciled me, you, you just, just me, God reconciled me to himself through Jesus. Watch this. But here's where people miss it. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You took it away. Put it back up there for him. You gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Hear me, church. Our goal, our mission, our mandate is not to be right. Our goal, our mission, our mandate is to reconcile people to God. And when it comes to me sitting down and talking to somebody, I have to be able to know if I'm going to reconcile them to God, I need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. I don't need to come in with an agenda. Because can I tell you what all that debate's about? You go on Facebook and you see debates, and I see this happen a lot of times with Christians, and here's what I see people doing. They are fighting their agenda versus their agenda. And there's another agenda here, and that's God's agenda. I'm not about my agenda because as much as I can be right in some ways, I'm wrong in others. And the moment I step up and pretend like I got something going on in this way, guess what? I'm failing over here. And so it's not about me being right. It's about me doing what the Bible says and doing all that I can to reconcile somebody else back to God. The people who led me to Christ were not using their time telling me where they're right. If anything, they were letting me know sometimes they're wrong. But through that, I was able to find myself back. And I, I didn't find God. God found me. But I was able to reconcile myself back to God through Christ. James says, church, stop gossiping. Stop talking about drama. Stop trying to be right. Stop offending. Stop talking. Just, just stop talking. Be slow to talk. Be quick to listen. Hey, what's going on? Instead of me jumping, I'm going, you shouldn't have done that. Hey, what's up, man? How, how the, what happened there? And that, that, that slow to speak and that quick to listen starts to penetrate the hearts of people. And then I get an opportunity to help them reconcile to God. I'm going to give you an actual true story. This just happened recently in my life. Uh, because I am a uh, certified minister, reverend, I can perform weddings and funerals. Uh, we got, of course, I, I, I often will, will be involved in marrying Nick and Leona, and a little bit marrying Blake and Lanisa, and a little bit I'll often be involved in, in the weddings, of course, if people go to church here. But, but recently I got an email out of nowhere from somebody I'd never met, and they wanted to get married. And they said, hey, you know, this is, they gave me their names, and they said, do you do weddings? I said, yes, I do. And uh, they said, well, we would like to meet, talk, and see if we could get you to do my wedding. I said, cool. We meet. 
Darla and I go and meet with them, and here's what they say. They come to find out they had just moved to the Nashville area. He's kind of an up-and-coming songwriter and that kind of deal. And they had been, they don't go to church anywhere. They're, they're, they, I couldn't really tell by the conversation if they were even Christians. And they said, every minister that we find that we ask to marry us tells us that as long as we're living together, we can't get married. They won't marry us. And I said, okay. I said, well, what are they saying? They said, well, they say we have to move out in separate housing until we get married. And I said, okay, what's your situation there? They said, well, you know, that's, we can't afford that. We're, we're young, trying to make a living. We're, we're barely affording it now. I said, okay. And then the lady looks at me, she goes, will you marry us? I said, absolutely. Absolutely, I'm married. She said, what's different? I said, well, I care more about where you're going in God, not where you've been, first of all. Um, and so, so we get to talking. And listen, I, I get where the ministers were coming from. I get it. I, I could sit here and teach you all day why you shouldn't do that and why it's helpful not to do that. I'm actually got a friend who moved in with his girlfriend before they got married, and now they broke up, and it's so awkward. And I, I'm like, I told him, I was like, man, that's why God says don't do that stuff. Don't put yourself in situations where you're going to get, you know, just don't do that. Like, I get that. I totally get where they were coming from. They, they were right. But they were choosing to be right over reconciliation. I came focused on reconciliation. I could care less about my agenda to be right. All I care about is God's agenda. So Darla and I met with them multiple times. We actually married them a couple weeks ago. But we, we met with them couple, multiple, multiple times. And the last meeting we had, my wife can, can, can uh, uh say this happened, <laughs> whatever that means, confess to this. And so we're sitting there talking, and the husband, who's been quiet the whole time, because that's how we are, right? With weddings, we don't speak. Whole time. He looks at me, he says, hey man, when all this is over, I'd really like you to help me grow in my relationship with God. Come on, y'all. Right? That's what I'm talking about. Like, that's a real live example of I cared more about reconciling you to God than I care about being right. Because I understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die for us to be right. He died for us to be reconciled. And so he says, guess what? You may be right. You probably are. But just be slow to speak and be quick to listen. And instead of saying all the right things, do the right things. And when you do it, instead of saying it, the people that are around you start to see it. And they go, oh my goodness, your religion, your gospel, what you're selling, I want to buy. Why? Why? Why do you want to grow in your relationship with God? Because for the first time, he really saw who God was. And when James gave us the examples, you know what the examples were? Widows, orphans. You know what that example means? Others. Others that need God. And so I'm a firm believer that James is telling us as a church, your ministry and calling church, your ministry and calling, why God gave you a gift to speak, why God gave you a gift of, of friendship, why God gave you a gift to be able to walk into a room and make everybody want to be your friend, why God made you an influencer, why God put you in that job, why God gave you that mother-in-law, why God put you around all those people was never for you to be right. Never. The Bible's right. That's all you need. Your purpose was to be there to reconcile people to God. Well, man, there's somebody at my office. They're always wrong. I can't wait to get there Monday and prove them wrong. Don't. Get there Monday with the goal to reconcile them. Take them to lunch and buy their lunch and say, hey, what's going on in your life? I guarantee you, if you do that, by the time they're done talking, two, two and a half hours later, I bet you get an opportunity to lead them to Christ. 
Because here's what I'm found out about this world in 2019. Everybody's talking. Nobody's listening. And James is saying, we Christians, we Christ followers, we're supposed to listen. And when we're quick to listen and slow to speak, people go, man, something different about you. What's, what's different about you? Well, let me tell you. It's not that I'm perfect. It's not that I know a lot. None of that. I'm just, I'm the same as you. I just got the privilege at one point to be reconciled to God through Jesus. And if you take advantage of that same privilege, then you'll start to experience the same life I'm experiencing. Amen? So etch that on your heart. Your ministry, your calling is not to be right. It's to reconcile people's lives back to God. That's what he's, that, that's the ministry that he's put on our life. I know you serve in First Impressions. I know you serve on the worship team. I know you serve. If you don't serve, please go to GrowTrack and get on this dream team. We're trying to change the world. You're slacking. But all that, all that is not to hold doors. It's not to hold babies. It's not to hold guitars. The ministry that you've been called to is to reconcile people to God. And he uses the gift he gives you to do that. Amen? Amen. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are, for your word, how clear it is. I love that James told, he put us in our place, Lord, told us, don't, don't just say it, but do it. Quit talking and walking. But to do all of that with the mindset of helping somebody come to know you, Jesus. I thank you right now for those in my life who they walked it, they didn't just talk it. And because of them, I had the opportunity to reconcile my life back to you. And it changed me forever. I thank you for the people you put around me that that's my ministry, to help them reconcile with you. And I pray right now over this church, because between now and next Sunday, they're going to be literally in contact with the very people that you have assigned to them to minister to, to help reconcile them back to God. And I pray that they would feel this word on their heart when they talk to them, when they sit down with them, when they meet with them, when they ride in the car with them, they would understand the ministry and the calling on their life to help reconcile that person to God. Give them the anointing. Let them feel your love and your grace and your mercy and let them exude that to other people. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said...